All right, all right, all right. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen? Good to see each and every one of you here. Welcome to Lineage Church. This is week one of Unstuck. I want to say to get the most out of this series, you need to be in a community group. It's not too late to join one. It's not too late to start one. And if you haven't gotten your workbook and you're in a community group already and you signed up, just go to the info table and just tell them you're in a community group and they'll give you one. If you want to start one today, go to the info. The, there's a community group area uh, in the fellowship hall and just tell them you, you're starting a community group right now and they will give you workbooks. So we're, we're providing this for everybody. This is going to be a wonderful, wonderful, powerful time. <clears throat> Matthew 6.33, just one verse of scripture as we get started with this today. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I'm going to talk to you today about getting back to fundamentals. Specifically, I'm going to talk to you about just starting with a layup. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Quiet our hearts. Give us understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to be stuck? You know, when we think of being stuck, the first thing we think about, or the first thing I think about, first thing that comes to my mind is like falling into a trap, you know? Um, we got a, an image of like falling into a trap, like getting, like getting caught in a bear trap. It's kind of like that, that uh, image that you see on TV and the cartoons where somebody's walking around and their leg gets caught in a bear trap, right? In other words, when we think about being stuck, we think of like the worst possible, most painful situation that you can possibly be in. When you're in this situation, you're stuck, right? Like you've lost everything. You've lost your job and all of your finances and your marriage is falling apart and you're, you know, you've lost whatever. It's like we think of the worst possible things. And so because I'm not in this situation right here where like I've lost everything, I'm not stuck. I'm doing fine in life. All right. Well, there's kind of a less, um, how do I say it, a less extreme version of stuckness that I think we've all been in before. Um, you ever been stuck in this type of situation before where, you know, it's inconvenient. It's not life-threatening, but it's inconvenient and, and nobody's home, you know. So is there a plan B? You know, what do we do? Like, I'm stuck in this situation. So, you know, we've all experienced this level of stuckness before. So when we think of stuckness, there's like this continuum from like extreme to every day. Now, the kind of stuckness I want to talk about, there's, there's this whole idea of us as, as human beings and even as believers falling into simple traps and then Jesus is always there to pull us out. So when we get stuck, we know that Jesus is there to pull us out. And when he pulls us out, though, the problem is, we tend to find ourselves in the same situation again. Check out this, this sheep. You've seen this before, right? There's Jesus. I'm stuck. I can't get myself out. And Jesus pulls me out. And I'm so happy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Uh-oh. <laughs> and now I'm back in the same situation again. Repeat, right? Jesus pulls me out. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I'm stuck again. And Jesus pulls me out. Hallelujah. Glory to God, I'm stuck again. So the good news is that, number one, we all get stuck at times, and number two, Jesus is always there to pull us out of our stuckness. And number three, he's got so much patience. He's so patient and kind. He's so merciful and loving that he just keeps on pulling us out again and again and again until we learn to walk a different path. 
and not to fall into the same ditch. Now, stuckness actually, most of the time, it looks more like this. Watch these guys. Tell me when somebody makes one. This guy's going to make it. I know it. No? Okay, this guy. This one's going in. No? Okay, uh, I got confidence. The next shot, what? Is it going to go? This is what stuckness often looks like. I just can't buy a bucket. You ever been at this stage of life? You ever been through something? A moment like this where it's like, I'm trying to connect with my wife, brick. Okay, now I'm going to go try to sit down and have a deep connection with my daughter, brick. I'm going to try to move this project forward at my job, brick. Okay, now I'm going to go to church and try to connect with God, brick. I'm going to open my Bible and try to study something, brick. I'm going to try to solve my financial situation, brick. You ever get in a situation where you just feel like you can't buy a bucket? Where everything you try to do seems to fall by the wayside? Now, there's two forms of wisdom. There's one form of wisdom that says when you're in that situation, put that up again and just, just replay it. One form of wisdom says, just keep shooting, guys. Eventually, you're going to have to make something. Just keep taking shots. And if you just keep taking shot after shot after shot, eventually something's going to fall in. And I say, no, that's not the answer. You know why? Because the longer you just keep breaking like this, the more you've ingrained it in your mind, I'm terrible at this. I'm a horrible shooter. I'm going to take another shot. All of my previous shots have missed. This one's probably going to miss, too. I'm going to apply for another job, probably not going to get it either. Go talk to my wife, she's not going to want to talk to me. Talk to my kid, my kid's going to tell me to get lost. Try to figure out my finance situation, can't make ends meet. Going to go try to finish the project at my job, can't please my boss. And pretty soon it gets ingrained in your mind that you're going to miss every shot. That is, you've begun to create momentum around your misses. And that momentum will continue until you stop and take a step back. Now, if I were those guys' coach, what I would tell them is, stop everything. Come line up. Get them all lined up. Now, here's what we're going to do. Only layups. We're going to start so close to the rim that there's no way possible that you can miss. Well, it's still possible to miss a layup. Just ask Westbrook. <laughs> that was cold, my bad. I'm a Warriors fan, so, you know. <laughs> but the only way to miss a, a layup is you just have to be completely unfocused and careless. But a layup, it's such a high percentage shot that nine times out of ten, you're going to make them. If you keep missing free throws and three-pointers and 20-foot jump shots, stop taking free throws, three-pointers, and 20-foot jump shots and just do a drill like this. Look at this. Wow, he's a, he's a master. Look at that, two in a row. He's a professional, three in a row. Look at this, four in a row. Look at this, even this little kid is a success when he stops and comes back to fundamentals. Even this little child is almost like an expert. Just bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket when he stops just shooting haphazardly everywhere and just comes back right under the rim and just starts taking simple high percentage shots that you almost can't miss. And if you start there with your simple high percentage shots that you almost can't miss, 
After a while, you build confidence and momentum around making these shots. Then you take a couple steps back and start taking short jumpers. And you make a few of those and you build momentum. Then you can maybe step, take a few steps back, maybe to the free throw line and start taking some mid-range jumpers. And you get, you know, you, you build momentum there. Then you can think about taking a few three-pointers. But even Steph Curry doesn't start with three-pointers. He starts with layups. Like no matter how professional any professional is, they start by building momentum up close before they start moving out, moving out, moving out. Building deep intimacy with your spouse, that's a three-pointer. And many of us miss those all the time. Knocking it out of the park in a project at your job, that's a three-pointer. We miss those all the time. Trying to establish your career, that's a three-pointer. Or even what this whole Unstuck series is about, discovering and doing the thing that you were born to do. That's a three-pointer. Maybe even a series of three-pointers. But I want to start this whole process by suggesting to you that you never get to the three-pointers if you forsake the layup. And what we tend to do is we get so busy missing three-pointers that we don't have time for layups anymore. I don't have time for the simple stuff. I'm too busy doing the complicated stuff badly. When all we got to do is stop and just come back to the basket, stand right under the basket and take the easy, high percentage shots and build momentum around those wins. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the verse that we read, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Now, in the, in the, the context of the passage, he's telling his disciples not to worry. In verse 31, he says, don't worry about what you eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. For all these things, the whole world is, is seeking these things. The whole world is worried about these things. You guys, I don't want you to worry about that stuff. Instead, I want you to seek the kingdom. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The Gentiles, the, the world, the rest of the world is thinking about this. And your father knows that you have need of these things. And because your father in heaven knows that you have need of these things, you can just seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Now, when Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear, he did not mean, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. And what you need to, I mean, he was not saying, just wake up in the morning and just walk around the house singing worship songs and food's going to float into your mouth. <laughs> Clothes are just going to float on your back. He wasn't saying, stop brushing your hair in the morning, because that's thinking about what you're going to wear. No, you need to brush your hair, okay? You need to bathe. You need to put on clean clothes, and you need to think about what you're going to wear tomorrow. You need to think about it tonight. You need to iron your clothes and lay them out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was not telling us to be nasty. Because now nobody wants Jesus because you're walking around looking like John the Baptist and saying, Jesus told you to do it. No. When he said, don't worry, he meant, don't think about that stuff first. Because you always worry whenever you think about something first. Your worry is at the forefront of your mind. 
So when he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? What he's saying is, don't have the cares of this life on the forefront of your mind. Don't put it first. But he says, instead, seek first the kingdom. In other words, put God first. Now, putting God first, that, that's such a cliche, isn't it? And it's so easy to say, I put God first. I put God first. It's like, uh, I've watched your life. You don't put God first in anything. You say you put God first. You say a prayer before you eat your unhealthy meal. You have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, but you drive like you got a devil. If he's your co-pilot, brother, you need to let him drive. <laughs> so otherwise, soon and very soon, you're going to be going to see the king. <laughs> no more driving there. Um, it's a cliche. So cliche that when somebody says, put God first, we don't even know what that means. You only experience what it means to put God first when something else challenges that place. That is at the very place in which something else becomes all-encompassing and overwhelming. And you want to put all of your effort and attention into that thing, but you take a step back and you focus on God, that's what it means to put God first. Now, we talked about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with this guy Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Israel at the time. And this multitude, this huge army that was a conglomerate of countries that came together, Ammon and Moab and Syria, they put together one huge army that was much bigger than his army. And they came at him from every direction. So the battle is still maybe a few weeks away, but one of his scouts comes and a message comes to him and says, there's a huge army coming to you from all sides, from Ammon and from Syria and from Moab, and they're coming to destroy you. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2, it says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to seek the Lord. Now at that moment, everything in me says, you better get ready for the battle. Everything in me says, you better focus on the war that you're getting ready to fight. When the crisis hits, who do you turn towards first? That's what it means to put God first. Putting God first means I'm never so busy that I don't have time to seek God. Putting God first means when the crisis hits, I turn to God. And when the good time hits, I turn to God. I turn to God, then I deal with the crisis. It's not that I neglect the crisis. It's not that I spiritualize the crisis. It's not that I put aside my responsibility and, and just start to think that I have no responsibility. Of course, I've got a responsibility in this situation. But turning to God first is my way of declaring to myself and to my family and to my community that my spiritual life is not a separate entity from my life in the world. That my spiritual life is directly connected to my life in the world. I don't have a social life and a spiritual life. I've got a social life that is influenced by my spiritual life. I don't have a vocational life and a spiritual life. My vocational life is influenced by my spiritual life, meaning the state of my spiritual life will directly affect every other component of my life. And we don't make the connection between the state of our relationship with God and our success in the world. And honestly, as believers in Jesus, we don't even like to use that word success. 
but I'm going to use it today. Because success is actually important to God. He wants your success. But he gave us the path to success. What did he tell Joshua? He said, this book of the law right here, it's not going to depart from your lips. You're going to meditate on it day and night. You're going to teach it to your children. And then you will have good success. So God literally gives Joshua his word and says, this is the path to success. You put this first, you'll succeed. You don't put this first, you're going to fail. You put me first, you're going to succeed. One of the, the Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You trust in the Lord first, and that's the path to success. But because we don't connect those two, never have I heard anybody say, this thing did not succeed, and it's because I didn't spend enough time meditating on Scripture. This didn't succeed, and it's because I didn't put God first. But here's what happens. We're so busy focusing on success that we just put God on the back burner and say, you know, I'll get to you when I got time. But I just don't have the time. Now, what I want to talk about today, in the last few minutes we got left, and I'm not going to keep you here all day, is what it actually means to put God first. I'm going to make this very simple and very practical. What it actually means to put God first, there's a number of things. But what I want to talk about is the layup. Starting with the layup, and then you move back to the short jumper, and then the mid-range jumper, and then the three-pointer. I'm not going to tell you to start by praying three hours a day in tongues. I'm not going to tell you to start by meditating and memorizing the entire Bible. That's not the foundation of what it means to put God first. You know what it simply is? Here's the layup. Come to church. I know that sounds so religious, doesn't it? Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Taco Bell makes you a Mexican. <laughs> but it also doesn't hurt. <laughs> that is, if my goal is to be a Mexican, I mean, I wouldn't go to Taco Bell, but maybe Taco Rio Los Pericos or something. A lot. Here's the point. Let me tell you why going to church is a layup. Psalm chapter 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Going to the house of the Lord was the foundation of the faith of Israel. Gathering together to worship God together. And when I'm talking about going to church, I'm not just talking about being in this physical building. I'm also talking to you who are gathered on our online campus. But it's the gathering. When you show up even on the online campus and you put that word in the chat, hi family, how's everybody doing? You made yourself present. There's this corporate, this gathering, this moment of togetherness where we all come together for one purpose, to present ourselves before God and to receive from Him. That is a layup. And the reason why it's a layup, it's a high percentage shot because the whole experience is created for you. You don't have to pick the music. The music is already prepared for you. You don't have to search the Bible for a word from God. The word is already prepared for you. There's people who already usher you in. You need prayer. There's people there to pray for you already. 
The whole experience is created for you. The house has been cleaned. The chairs have been arranged. The donuts have been set out. The coffee has been brewed. The children's church team is ready to welcome your kids. It's, a, it's low-hanging fruit. It's a layup. And what I see happen is we get so busy that we just stop shooting layups. Because I got so much going on in life. Because I'm so busy with my career, because I'm so busy pursuing success, because I'm so busy shooting three-pointers. And then we're surprised when we start bricking three-pointers. And the more three-pointers we brick, the more we, the more, the more we resolve to focus on our three-pointers. Now I really don't have time to come back to the house of God. Can I say, by the way, that the, the, the point of this sermon is not, please join Pastor Benjamin's church. Because when I say that this is a layup, I mean this in my own life as well. When I don't come and worship and gather with the people of God, something is missing. I feel it. Something is missing. When my family goes on vacation to a different part of the world, you know the first thing we look for is what church are we going to go to on Sunday morning? Where are we going to worship? Where are we going to find a body of believers where we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth? It's not the whole concept that my church is the best church and if you ain't my... In my church, you ain't in the kingdom. I don't believe that at all. But there's something about a gathering of believers where we come together in, in what happens in that gathering is that the presence of God becomes more accessible in ways that's not accessible to us as individuals. It's a layup. It's low-hanging fruit. You can't miss just show up and open your heart. That's all you got to do. Just show up and open your heart. That's all you got to do. And make yourself present. That's step one. Making the decision that I'm not going to neglect my layups. I'm just going to come back to the layup. I'm going to come back to the layup. I'm going to come back to the layup. And you know what? If I'm worried about COVID, then the layup is opening my computer and just staying connected for the whole service. I'm coming to the layup. I'm just going to shoot the layup. I'm going to make myself present with the gathering of believers. That's what Jehoshaphat did when he heard the report that this huge multitude was coming to him from every direction and this huge army that was bigger than his army and they're going to attack and they're going to destroy. The first thing he said was, let's have church. He did not say, everybody go home and get in your personal prayer closet and talk. No, he said, we're doing this together. We're going to seek God together, gather together. He proclaimed a fast. He said, we're going to seek God together. And everyone came together and cried out to God together. And guess what happened? God spoke a word to that gathering that gave direction gave encouragement, and gave strength. And in that encouragement and direction and strength, they went out and faced their enemy, and God gave them the victory. Amen. That's the layup. Just so simple. But now you want to take a couple steps out and start taking short jumpers. You know what short jumpers are? Just a really simple daily time of devotion just between you and God. Real simple. You know how to do it? It's so simple. You just open up your Bible and read one chapter. I recommend starting with the book of Mark. 
I like Mark, especially if you're new to the, to the faith or young in the faith. Mark is great for you because Mark gets right to the point. He don't beat around the bush. and He's not like Matthew where he goes back to Abraham. He's going to talk about Jesus and Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jesus. I don't need to know all those begats. Mark starts with the temptation of Jesus. Jesus went in the wilderness. He was, first he was baptized by John. Then he went to the wilderness. I mean, he, he just is right in it. Bam! Mark's favorite word is immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. And immediately he was on the mountain, and immediately he was down to the valley, and immediately. Then he died, he rose again. Bam! You know, we got through this thing real quick. Read one chapter. Number two, pick one verse out of that one chapter. One verse that sticks out to you. Number three, write that verse down on a piece of paper or type it in to an Evernote file, whatever. And then number four, write a prayer using the words of that verse. Just try to use the words of that verse in a prayer. Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I picked that verse, I write it down, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And I'm just gonna write a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray, uh, as I start from the beginning of the gospel, That you would show me who you are. Thank you that you're the son of God. It can be that simple. And then the last piece. Write a prayer telling God exactly what you're feeling today. No holds barred. What, tell him what you're experiencing. Connect the rest of your life to your spiritual life. Because what we tend to think of the spiritual life, we tend to think it's all about coming before God and using a bunch of $50 theological terms. Oh, thou great and holy, greatest holy and father, and, and thou mightiest, and thou, I bless thee for thou aguanusiousness. That's not what it is. You know what it is? Man, God, I'm messed up today. When my wife started doing this, her sister told her to do it while she was still clubbing. And she would come in and she would write in her journal, God, I'm drunk again. Sorry about that. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but God, I can't change me. So if you want me, you're going to have to change me. But here I am. She did that and it took her 10 minutes a day and she did it every day. And six months later, she looked back and all of those desires had faded away. They were gone. She never tried to kick any habit. She was snorting cocaine all night long. At parties, she was doing it all. And six months later, and I mean, she would come in from a party, but still do her devotion. See, this is the thing. This is where the enemy trips you up. The enemy trips you up and says, well, you messed up, so you can't go to God now. Might as well not even open your Bible. You, you definitely can't go to church, because I guarantee you the sermon's going to be about what you did last night. <laughs> and be like, let me just creep out of here. <laughs> no. You just go back to your short-range jumper. You go to your layup, and then your short-range jumper. And you just start doing that every day. That changed my wife's life. Ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. And now you move back a couple feet, and you're going to take a mid-range jumper, like a free throw. Here's the free throw. Get into a community group where all of a sudden... You experience a level of commitment to a small group of people that you're going to become intimate with and share life with. When I say a level of commitment, what I mean is you're not committed to them for life. When you get into a community group, you don't have to commit to it indefinitely. So I'll be with you all for about four or five, six weeks. We'll see if I like this. 
And here's the key. If you don't like them, bounce <laughs> at the end of that six weeks. Deal? And that, that's why we do these campaigns like we're starting today, campaigns like today where we're saying, this, you're going to get the most out of this if you jump into a community group. It's not to lock you with people you don't like for the rest of your life, to tell parts of you that you don't want to tell. But you know what some of you are going to find? Some of you are going to find fellowship there that you're going to want to continue. And guess what? If you want to continue, you can. This is simply to provide you with an on-road. Now, what happens when you get into a community group with just a small group of people that you build intimacy with and you begin to share life with? What happens is you, you experience two things. Number one, you experience accountability. And accountability is so important. Accountability is when there's somebody that I trust in my life to just keep it real, to keep it 100. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I come in and talking crazy about my wife. And there's somebody in the group who loves me enough to say, hey, Benjamin, can I, can I say something to you? You're the one who's crazy, not her. <laughs> Whatever, I mean, it doesn't have to be that in your face. But there's accountability there. But secondly, there's support. Support means there's going to be people there to empathize with me, to just hear me out, to just let me be me, to just let me let it all hang out. Amen. A community group is not a group of people coming together to pretend to be more religious than they actually are. You know what I'm saying? Like you cuss like a sailor, but then you come to your community group and you pretend to speak perfect King James English. <laughs> You're just fluent in Christianese. Oh, you just be yourself. So I know he's still working on me. He's still working on me. Mid-range jumper. It's a free throw. They did this in the early church when you go to the book of Acts and you see that the church was born in the book of Acts after Jesus descends into heaven then the Holy Spirit comes and then a, a crowd of people gathers to figure out what's going on and then Peter stands up and he preaches the sermon and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. And now they got 3,000 new believers. And so they told them, there's two things we're going to ask all of you to do. Just two. Number one, come to these large group meetings every week. That's all. And then number two, just meet from house to house in little small group meetings. That's all they told them to do. And that's, they did it. They just devoted themselves to it, meeting in the temple courts, in the large group meeting, and then house to house. And the concept was, is if you just keep coming to both of those things, it's going to build your personal, intimate relationship with God. All of a sudden, that, that short jumper, that two or three foot jumper where you're just having that personal time with God, it gets richer and richer and richer and thicker and thicker and thicker. And all of a sudden, God starts to become more and more real to you. Now, let me say this to you. In the beginning, it's going to suck. Anything worthwhile sucks in the beginning. But the power is in the habit. You see, when we're talking about discovering the thing you were born to do and, and fulfilling your destiny and your purpose and your mission in life and all of that stuff. That's so, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome at the end of your life to have that confidence like Paul did when he said, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I finished the race, to be able to say at the end of my life, I did what I was supposed to do. I did the right stuff. I fought the right fights. You don't choose your destiny, you choose your habits and your habits choose your destiny. And creating a habit, it always sucks in the beginning. 
remember when I was trying to build the habit of swimming last year. I want to build this habit of swimming every day. And it sucked every single morning. <laughs> that walk from my apartment to the pools. I don't want to get in there. It's so cold out here. And I just had to force myself. And then I'd get over there and I'd turn it on, turn on the swim, and I'd jump in the water. And as soon as I'd get in the water, that cold would hit me. I'd jump, push off and go right into the first lap. But halfway through the first lap, I'm like, ooh, this feels kind of good. And halfway through the second lap, I'm like, man, it's warm in here. Ooh, I'm so glad I'm not outside. And by the time I would get out of the pool, man, I felt alive. I felt strengthened. I felt, oh, uh, this feels so good. Why do, I, why do I resist this every day? This is awesome. Uh, get in that hot tub and stretch myself out. Uh, this is such a wonderful day. And then I wake up the next morning. Oh, I don't want to get in that pool. Oh, Lord, I don't want to go. Can I tell you the truth? There's still some Sundays where I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I don't feel like going to church. Amen. We're doing early morning prayer right now. Every morning I wake up, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing this. Oh, come on. I get up and make the coffee, and I turn on the live stream, and we do the prayer. And 10 minutes in, I'm like, ooh, this is awesome. I'm so glad we're doing this. Mm. And by the time it's over, I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, this is so awesome. And then I take my daughter to school, and then I go to the gym, and I get in the pool. But all the way to the pool, I don't want to get in the pool. I don't want to get in the pool. And then I get out of the pool, I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Creating the habit, it always sucks. But you press through that. And when you press through the suck, what happens is you arrive at the desire. You start jump-starting the desire. You start jump, and when that desire, when that engine takes over, all of a sudden, the thing that you used to dread, you start to crave. Because you crave what you feed on. And you cannot begin to crave the things of God until you begin to consistently feed on the things of God. And if you begin to consistently feed on, you see, God is an acquired taste. It's like kimchi. I tell you the truth, the first time I saw kimchi, I wanted to vomit. I was, I was, I was traumatized as a little boy because a group of Koreans, they were meeting, we, were, we were outdoors at a picnic and a group of Koreans came nearby and they had this big jar and I kid you not, I'm not trying to make a bad joke, but I was probably seven or eight years old, it looked like a jar of vomit. And then they opened it up and the smell that came over confirmed for me that it was indeed a jar of vomit. And then everybody took their chopsticks and started to eat it, and I thought, there are people on this earth who eat vomit and love it. But when I became an adult and married a Korean woman, I discovered very quickly that kimchi is not vomit. That kimchi is actually cabbage that has been fermented in peppers and garlic and a little vinegar, it's incredibly good for you. And now I crave kimchi. I started eating it out of respect in the beginning. I stomached it. And then after a while, I started to enjoy it. Then after a while, I started to crave it. And now I can eat nothing but kimchi and rice by itself. 
and be happy, just very happy, just, just kimchi and rice is enough because it's so good and I know that I'm doing something wonderful for my body because kimchi is amazingly good for you. You ever go to Ethiopia and have injera, the bread? It's an acquired taste. The first time I had it, I was like, yeah, uh, somebody left this bread out. <laughs> they added something in the mix of this bread that ain't right. <laughs> but after a while, you start to enjoy it. You mix it with those, what they call it, tibs? The, 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 um, the goat? Mmm. And you, you, you don't use no silverware. You just grab it with your hands and get in there. Uh, uh, and after a while, it's like, man, that's so good. It's an acquired taste. Some of the best tastes are acquired tastes. God is an acquired taste. The Spirit of God is an acquired taste. The things of God are an acquired taste, and you've got to feed on them until you begin to enjoy them. And then once you begin to enjoy them, then you begin to crave them, and you realize it's what your body has craved all along. It's what your heart has craved all along. But a lot of folks, you experience it once, and then you walk away. It's like going to the gym one time and going, yeah, that wasn't for me. I just wasn't created to be in shape. It's just not my personality. It doesn't fit my personality. So then you get all sweaty. And... <laughs> Don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That's how the whole world thinks. The whole world thinks first and foremost about me and my needs and my desires and my wants. But that's the recipe for never experiencing the fulfillment of your needs and your desires and your wants. Jesus says, you want to know the recipe for getting what you actually need and what you actually want and what you actually desire? Take time every day to push all of that aside. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. Start with the layup and then take that short jumper. Just develop that 10-minute time with God every day. And then take that mid-range jumper and get into a community group. And by the way, this is not necessarily in order. Maybe through the community group, you're going to develop the daily time. Maybe through the community group, you're going to develop the Sunday experience. But have it in your mind that I need all of these shots. And then all of a sudden, I step out into three-point range, and I want to connect with my wife. But I've learned to seek God first. So I say, God, what does my wife need? And all of a sudden, God begins to give you revelation of the kind of flowers that your, life, your wife wants and where not to buy them. <laughs> he also gives you revelation to know that certain times you're going to buy them for her and she's going to be mad that you spent that much money. <laughs> and then she's going to tell other people, my husband never buys me these kind of flowers. He buys me cheap stuff. I got off track there. 
don't remember what the point was. <laughs> Seek God first. And then I step into three-point range, and all of a sudden I'm being led by the Spirit, and God's showing me how to talk to my daughter. And God is showing me what to do about my job. And God is showing me how to manage my investments. And God is showing me what the next step of my career is. And God is showing me, and God is opening doors for me. And God is pushing me through them. And all of a sudden, I experience all of the success in life and all of these breakthroughs and all of these blessings simply because I made the decision to come back to the layup. And all of a sudden, I begin to build momentum around high percentage shots. Bow your heads. Let's pray. I need somebody on the keys. Father, I thank you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're here in this place and that your love for us is great. I thank you that you love each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours gathered under the sound of my voice, whether on the live stream or whether here in the house or even those who are going to listen to this podcast later in the week. I thank you that your love is so real. It never fails. It never runs out on us. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. Because this is the true layup, the highest percentage shot, is simply opening our heart to you and saying, Jesus, come in, abide with me, make your home in me. I surrender to you. Your love is a wellspring, never runs dry. So Lord, I just pray that those decisions would be made this house today, that you'd use this simple word to bring about simple decisions. I've just decided to open my heart to Jesus and let him in. And if that's you, just in your heart, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. Just in your heart, pray this prayer. I'm not asking for a show of hands, I'm not asking for, you know, come up to the front or anything like that. Just in your heart, just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I open my heart to you. I invite you to come in and I ask you to show me who you are and to teach me how to walk with you and to show me how much you love me. May my life be oriented by your love. Lead me in every way. I thank you for it in your name. Father, if anybody prayed that prayer today, I just pray that your blessing and breakthrough would explode in their lives. That, that simple prayer would bring forth such good fruit, such joy, such blessing, and such peace. That it would bring about an undeniable confirmation that you're real. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I want you to share it in your community group. If you don't have a community group, find somebody to share it with today. You can even go to our info table and say, I just want to tell you, I prayed that prayer from my heart today. But uh, what we want this to be is a place where we just yoke up and do stuff together. We're all on the path, we're on different places on the path, but we're all on the same path, we're all in the same boat. We want to get closer to Jesus. We want to know who he really is. 
And it's such a privilege to do that here together with each and every one of you. We love you and we thank you for being here today. Bless those of you who are joining us online. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Go ahead and give God a shout of praise. <laughs>